I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. All right, thank you very much. I appreciate all the motions that are being done, especially by people who are not of kid age. I appreciate your participation. So normally this is where I hand it off to the person who's speaking this morning, but that just so happens to be me, and so I'll hand it off to myself. If you are a football fan and you watched the playoffs last year, you might have followed the San Francisco 49ers, and early on in the year their starting quarterback got injured, and so then they brought in their backup quarterback. And then later in the year he got injured, So then they had to bring in their third-string quarterback, and amazingly, he did a great job, and they made the playoffs. And then in their playoff game, that guy got injured, and they had to bring in just this random guy, and things went horribly, and they lost. So anyways, I feel a bit like that random guy. I'm like the fourth-string quarterback. I'm the children's director. So hopefully, things don't go that horribly. I don't fumble the ball. Um, But uh, just for that, uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing as we gather together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for freedom to study it together. We thank you for the word being written and translated in our language. And We just pray that as we read together from the book of Proverbs, that you would help us understand what it is you're saying to us. Help us believe the things that you've done for us and be willing to do the things that you ask us to do. So we thank you for your presence, your Holy Spirit living in us right now, and we just ask your blessing as we gather together around what you've said to us in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Well, for seven weeks now, we've been looking together at the book of Proverbs, and our series is called The Anatomy of Wisdom, and so we've been looking at different body parts thematically as they've been mentioned in the Bible, and so far we've looked at the the feet, the head, the ears, the hearts, and the hands. And so when John and Keith were coming up with this series to do, and they started handing out body parts, the body part that they handed me was the eyes. And so a couple months back, I uh, wanted to listen to a song on my phone. Actually, my daughter requested this song. It was called Eyes Wide Open. And so I opened my phone and I, I searched eyes just to find that song. And what I realized is I have 12 songs on my phone with the word eyes in them. In fact, I have two songs that are both called wide, Eyes Wide Open that are completely different songs. And so knowing I had to preach in a couple months on the topic of eyes, I'm like, why? Well, I need to look up these songs. This can be my opening illustration. And so I found tons of them And I thought I would quiz you on how well you know your eye songs. And because we have a wide variety of ages, I thought I would pick some from a whole bunch of decades. So we're going to start out in the 60s, and then we'll end up with today. So, in the 1960s, Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons sang, and I'm going to say the first part, we'll see if you can fill this in. 
You're just too good to be true. Very good. Can't take my eyes off of you. Now, we'll forward to the 70s here, and we got the Eagles, and they're letting us know that you can't hide your your lion eyes, and it goes on to say your smile is a thin disguise. Thought by now you'd realize there ain't no way to hide your lion eyes. Well, speaking of disguising eyes, we're going to move on to the 80s with Eric Carmen, who said, one look at you, and I can't disguise, I've got hungry eyes. All right, we're getting fewer and fewer people as we get along here. Hungry eyes. Now, for you 90s people, there were not a lot of eye songs. In fact, at one point I was so desperate I was going to use the song Cotton Eye Joe. And eventually I found one. So this is a cheesy ballad from Brian Adams. He says, look into my eyes. You will see just what you mean to me. It's from a song called Everything You Do, I Do It For You, and I hate that song. But it has the word eyes with it. And because I'm 43 and I'm no longer with it, for a modern song with eyes, I had to go to my daughter. And so she directed me to Billie Eilish, who sings this song. Now, I I would imagine us older folk aren't going to know this. So you younger people are going to have to talk very loud if you can fill in the blank on this one. And it says, I've been watching you for some time. Can't stop staring at those. Oh, all right. There we go. Ocean eyes. Now, I didn't know that one at all. In fact, on the way to church this morning, that was our playlist in the van. We just played through all these eye songs, which Riley eventually figured, uh, picked up on. But. There's just something about eyes that make us want to sing. Our eyes have been called the, the windows to the soul. There's something about staring in someone else's eyes that makes you just feel like you're gazing at that inside essential part of them. So imagine for a moment if I was some sort of sadistic madman and I wanted to do some sort of experiment. So I said, find some random person here. It can't be someone you're married to or related to. And I want you to spend just 60 seconds staring in each other's eyes, not saying a word. Now, I'm not going to make you do that, because that sounds so uncomfortable. But why Why would we not want to do that? Why is it? Why does that make us cringe, thinking about just staring in someone's eyes? Well, because it feels like we're almost gazing at something we shouldn't, that we're looking at some secret that we shouldn't know. You know, we're comfortable staring in the eyes of people we know really well, but some random stranger, if we're locking a gaze, that just feels awkward. In fact, if I walked by and my wife and this guy are just staring at each other, I'm going to be suspicious, right? I'm going to wonder what in the world is going on. But it's not just a cultural thing, this idea of our eyes being the windows to our soul. We see this reflected in the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs 15.30 says, Light in a messenger's eyes brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. So when we have good news in our hearts that we want to share, it's mirrored in our eyes. It's incredibly hard to keep our eyes from reflecting what's going on in our hearts. In fact, if you can do that, if you can make sure that your eyes aren't showing what's going on in your heart, they pay you big bucks to do that in Hollywood. So Proverbs 23:26 gives us another example. It says, "My son, give me your heart 
and let your eyes delight in my ways. So this verse is an example of something we call um, synonymous parallelism. So if you want to impress someone at lunch today, you can use that phrase. Synonymous parallelism. It's something you see in Hebrew poetry. It's where you say two things, one after the other, in slightly different ways, but they mean the same idea. And so when it says, let your eyes delight in my ways, is another way of saying, give me your heart. It's that same idea. It's showing that the things we look at with our eyes, the things we treasure in our hearts, that they're connected. It's that idea, again, of our eyes being the window to our soul. When we gaze into another person's eyes, we're getting a little x-ray scan of what's going on inside of their heart. But it's true when we reverse the perspective. When we spend our lives looking out from our own eyes, and we see the, the things that we choose to direct our gaze upon, the people and the things that we choose to look at, it reveals the things we value. It uncovers what we delight in our hearts. So Jesus once said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But we can add to that where your heart is, there your gaze will be also. So just like an x-ray can reveal something that's wrong on the inside of your bones and on your body, the attention we give with our eyes, it reveals uh, and it can reveal a sickness that's going on in our hearts. So back when John first told me that I would be preaching on eyes, the first thing I did was I hopped on my computer and I did a little search for the word eye and eyes in the book of Proverbs. And it came back with over 50 verses. I'm like, this is going to be easy. I can just print those out and I'll just read those. That will take up most of my time and uh, it will go super well. Now, if you had asked me beforehand, what are all those I verses going to be about? I would have said, well, they're probably like the father saying to his son to avoid lust, to manage where you're looking at your eyes. You know, don't look at a lady in this particular way. Don't, don't direct your eyes where they shouldn't be. And you know what? There, there are a couple of verses in Proverbs about eyes and the idea of lustfully looking at someone. But when you stack up all the verses, all those 50 verses, that's not the main focus of the idea of eyes in the book of Proverbs. So for this morning, I thought I'd break up uh, what we're going to talk about with eyes in the book of Proverbs by first talking about our eyes and what we do with them, and then ending by talking about God's eyes and what he does with his eyes. So we're going to start with our eyes. And as we begin, I'm just going to read a long section of nine verses in a row. And it's going to get to the point where you're going to be like, enough already, I get it. But I want you to feel the repetition that I found when I first did that search. So just listen, it's way too many to flip around to. But see if you can feel the same and hear the same thing that I heard. So Proverbs 3, 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Proverbs 12:15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 16.2 All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the spirit. Proverbs 21.2 Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. 
Proverbs 26, 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Proverbs 26.16, a sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. Proverbs 28.11, the rich are wise in their own eyes. One who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are. And finally, Proverbs 30.12, those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of your felt. So when you grab everything that Proverbs has to tell us about eyes and then you sort them into categories by theme, by far the most frequently frequent bit of fatherly instruction is this. It's do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. So what does that mean, to be wise in your own eyes? If that's the thing it's going to talk about the most, what in the world does that mean? Well, I think a simple way to explain it would be to take the most famous verse in the book of Proverbs, the John 3.16 of Proverbs, if you will, and see how that will help us. So if you have your Bibles with us, turn to Proverbs chapter 3, and we'll look at verses 5 and 6. Some of you might not even look, because this is one of those verses that almost all of us who grew up in the church learned. The book of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and because I'm the children's minister, I need to give you... Um, the helpful way to find that book. The easiest way to find Proverbs is you open your Bible right to the middle. That's usually the book of Psalms. And then Proverbs is the next one over. And so the book of Proverbs is almost in the middle. We flip right over. Chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. So we're just going to read it first, and then we're going to look at it through the eyes of someone who is wise in their own eyes. So it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Now, we've mentioned that several times in this series so far. And I just read that verse from the NIV. But if you were memorizing this verse from the W-I-Y-O-E-V, which is the wise in your own eyes version, it would sound something more like this. Trust in yourself with all your heart. And lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, do whatever you think is best, and it will all work out in the end. The primary thing Proverbs teaches us about eyes is do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't think you have it all figured out. Don't believe that you decide what is true and what is right. Recognize that truth exists outside of you. Understand that God himself He is truth. He defines what truth is. Wisdom isn't found in looking deep in our hearts and finding the truth. It's found outside of us. Wisdom is discovering what God says is right. And the thing is, I think, if you walked up to most people in the street and you asked them, do you think it's a good thing to be wise in your own eyes? I think most people would agree, no, that that sounds like a bad thing, to be wise in your own eyes. Who wants to be around someone who thinks that they know everything and that they know everything that's right? But if you take that same idea of being wise in your own eyes and you package it up a little nicer, maybe sprinkle on some glitter and throw in a picture of a unicorn and then change wise in your own eyes to something like 
believe in yourself or follow your heart, well, then you might get some people to go along with you that, hey, that sounds like a good idea. In fact, they might even wear a pretty shirt with that on there or put a poster that says, believe in yourself or follow your heart. But you don't have to get very far into the Bible to see that following your heart, believing in yourself, being wise in your own eyes is a terrible idea. In fact, you don't even have to get to just the second page of the Bible we see. So you know the story well of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They have God's wise words of warning about the forbidden fruit. God says, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. That's pretty clear. But then what happens, Genesis 3, 6 tells us, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. So Adam and Eve back then in the garden were wise in their own eyes, even though they had a sure word from the Lord, a God-given guarantee about what would happen. They thought they knew better. They followed their hearts. They believed in themselves. The first sin was the result of our first parents leaning on their own understanding instead of trusting what God had said. And when you get down to it, that's the root of every sin, like ever. At its heart, every choice that we make to do what God says is wrong is us saying, I know what you've said, God, but I know better. And so I'm going to do this anyway. My eyes are wiser than yours, God. So, if you dig through the book of Proverbs and you're looking for eyeballs like I was, the most frequent bit of instruction you're going to find is that. Do not be wise in your own eyes. But the second biggest stack of verses, the next most recurring idea, is pretty closely related, but slightly different. And again, I'm going to read a couple verses in a row. This time it's only three, so we don't have to keep up with as many here. Proverbs 21.4 Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked, produce sin. Proverbs 30.13 Those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are disdainful. And then Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So when you take the concept of eyes in Proverbs, the second largest topic we're going to see is God hates haughty eyes. God hates haughty eyes. Now in the Bible, as you read it, you'll see God smother his enemies with a flood. You'll see him swallow them up by breaking open the earth. You'll see him rain down fire and incinerate them from the sky. And so when you know someone that powerful, it would be a good idea to take note of the things he hates, right? And the Bible says, of this list of seven things he hates, it puts first on the list, haughty eyes. God despises haughty eyes. 
That's not a word I use very often. I don't know about you. Maybe you've got a more expanded vocabulary than I have. But the Lord hates haughty eyes. And that word in Hebrew is often used for things that are lifted up, that are raised up high, that are exalted. And so if you think of Moses taking his staff and holding it up to part that Red Sea, we see the idea here of what haughty eyes are like. They are eyes that are lifted up high, so proud of themselves, eyes that look down on the world around them. They are proud eyes. So if being wise in your own eyes means thinking that you know better than God, then having haughty eyes means thinking that you're better than everyone else around you. Haughty eyes see the world as revolving around them. They are the main character, not just of their own lives, but of everyone's lives. And the Bible says, like an unplowed farmer's field is fruitless and makes nothing but weeds, haughty eyes and a proud heart grows and produces sin. So if you spend your life thinking, oh, I'm so much better than everyone else, I'm so much more important than anyone else, you're going to view others as just a a means to an end, as tools to be used in service of yourself. You're going to be a, a leech. You're going to be a vampire. You're going to be always taking and never giving. But why out of all these possible sins God could have picked when he put that list of seven that he hates, Why would he put haughty eyes on the list, and why would he put them first? Well, think back to the two great commandments. Not the Ten Commandments, but the two great commandments. Those commands that summarize all of those other commandments. And Jesus told us they are, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first. And then, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the second. When you view the world through haughty proud, looking down eyes, how can you also obey those two great commandments? If you see yourself as the main character of history, how are you going to give all your heart to God, who is the main character of all history? And if we're always out for ourselves, if we're seeing how others can serve us, when are we ever going to love our neighbor? When are we ever going to give to them without expecting something in return. You see, God created us to give glory to Him. He created us to find our greatest treasure, our number one delight and purpose in Him. And so it makes sense that He would hate haughty eyes. That turns all that created purpose around. Haughty eyes don't seek to give glory to God, but to give glory to themselves. So we shouldn't be wise in our own eyes. That's our first thing we learn. And God hates haughty eyes. That's the second. But before we move on to God's eyes, I thought there was one more thing that we could focus on as we look at our own eyes. And so Proverbs 4, 25 through 27 says, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left Keep your foot from evil. And then Proverbs 17:24. A discerning person keeps wisdom in view, <coughs> but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. So the third thing that Proverbs encourages us to do with our eyes is to keep 
our eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize. And so in talking about the wise way to live, the word Proverbs uses the word path a lot. And so the way of the wise is a walk down a particular path towards a particular destination. And as we walk down that path, it's easy to look off to our left or look to our right, and we'll notice all sorts of foolish shenanigans going on around us. And sometimes those shenanigans look pretty fun. It might make us question that the path that we're on, if it's actually the right one. If we're missing out on the pleasures and the treasures to our right and our left, perhaps we're headed in the wrong direction. But Proverbs 4 tells us, let your eyes look straight ahead of you. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the feet, uh, to your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Now a fool, their eyes are low, all over the place. They're wandering to and fro. Oh, that path looks nice. I should try that for a bit. Let's see where that one leads. Fools jump from path to path. Their eyes, as it says in the Bible, wander to the ends of the earth. They don't know where they're headed. They have no idea where they're going. They're rudderless boats that are just being tossed in the waves back and forth. And in the end, they're going to end up where they don't want to go. But the eyes of the wise remain on that prize. They follow the path set before them by God's word. They walk in the way of righteousness. They realize that all these attractions and distractions on the side of the road are poor substitutes for the eternal pleasure and endless joy that we find only in our Creator. So when it comes to our eyes, there are three things I want you to take home with you this morning. Number one, don't be wise in your own eyes. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Second, God hates haughty and proud eyes. We aren't the main character and the world does not exist to serve us. And finally, our eyes should be ever on that prize, eternal life in our Father's kingdom. To our left and to our right, we're going to find all sorts of temptations. But these side paths lose their luster when we set them side by side with the prize of God's kingdom. So hopefully, when you go home today, you have a clear understanding of what you should do with your own eyes. But I would be doing you a great disservice if I didn't talk about the other more important pair of eyes that we read about in the book of Proverbs. And of course, you know what that is. Those are God's eyes. Now, because I'm a children's minister, I need to sometimes explain things that we don't necessarily all explain to adults. But as Scripture tells us, God is a spirit. So when we talk about God's eyes, uh, we don't talk about, or God does not have a body like you and I do. So unless we're talking about Jesus, we're not talking about these gigantic eyeballs that are in space and they're swinging left and right and there's planet-sized pupils and infinitely big irises. When we talk about God's eyes, we're not talking about physical eyes. He's not like the eye of Sauron, if you know the Lord of the Rings. There's not some big, floaty, green fire eye that's looking left and right. But just because God doesn't have physical eyes and ears doesn't mean that he can't see and hear. And so Proverbs 15.3 tells us about God's eyes. 
says this, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. And Proverbs 5.21 goes on to explain, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. So when it comes to God's eyes this morning, there's just one thing I want you to take home, and that's that God's eyes see everything. God's eyes see everything. So for those of us with physical eyes made up of cornea and retinas and rods and cones, we have a limited field of vision. As much as mom and dad like to claim that they have eyes in the back of their head, we don't. And as much as we can kind of guess what you're doing when we're not looking, you kids get away with all sorts of stuff that we don't see. But that isn't true with our Father in Heaven. Not limited by space and size and location, God's eyes see absolutely everything, everywhere, all at once. A couple months back, I was going through the self-checkout at the Meyer just down the street from here. And I was doing some grocery shopping for my family, but I also had to buy a couple things for the kids' ministry. And so I had to do that thing where you put, you scan some things and pay with one card, and then you put them away, then you scan the other things and pay with the other card. And so that's what I did. I scanned all my stuff first, and then I went to press pay now and use my card. And instead of letting me pay, this like thing beeps, and it uh, says, um, items still in cart. And then it shows me this top-down video of my bald head and showing me my cart that there's a bunch of stuff still in there. And then this, this lady had to come over, and I had to say, okay, i got to buy some stuff for the church, and I'm using two credit cards. But I felt like a thief there for a second. It was kind of a, a creepy feeling to have evidence that there was this camera that I didn't know about that was watching me the whole time. I hadn't done anything wrong, but I still didn't enjoy knowing that there was some robot in the sky that was looking down and watching my every move, waiting for me to slip up. But while the eyes of Fred Meyer's robots may be watching me every step in that store, there's still lots of places I can go where no one sees the things I do. And yet, that's not really true if we believe the book of Proverbs. It says, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. It's not just in the checkout line at Meyer that my every move is being watched. It's everywhere. And that's not through some grainy black and white security camera that God sees me either. It's in full color. 3D. Captured from every angle. He has the zoomed in close up view. He has the wide angle bird's eye lens. He sees it all. So is this, is this good news or is this bad news? Well, it depends. Proverbs 15.3 says the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked. So we see God is always watching the wicked. God is always watching the wicked. Now about five years ago, I woke up one morning to discover that someone had stolen our minivan. And so Becky was out of town, and so it was just me with the kids, so I got them all ready and um, we headed out to the car so we could go to school in the morning. And then I had that weird feeling of, wait, something's wrong here. I can't quite put my finger on it. And then I realized, wait, there's, there's supposed to be two cars in our driveway, not one. And then we realized that someone had stolen our van in the middle of the night. 
Well, thankfully, about a week later, we got a call from the Kentwood Police Department saying, hey, is this your van? Um, someone says it's been parked here for a week and just left here. And so I uh, had my mom drive me over since the car, the van had been stolen to drop me off so I can meet a cop and bring my van back. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen plenty of crime shows, so I think I have a pretty good idea of what's going on here. And so I thought before I could take this van home, this guy must have needed to do some sort of investigation, right? You know, to catch the guy who stole my van, so maybe he needed to dust for some fingerprints or take a DNA sample so he could track down. I don't know exactly what he needed to do. I'm not a cop. That's his job, right? But the conversation, when I got there, it went like this. Uh, hey, is this your van? I'm like, yep. Uh, Want to see if it starts up? Sure. So I walk up, start the van. I give him a thumbs up, waiting for what he wants to do next. He gives me a thumbs up and drives off. And that was the extent of Kentwood PD's investigation into the great minivan theft of 2019. It kind of made me think that stealing a car is easier than I always thought it was. Like, as long as they don't find me in the car, I could take any car for a ride. I don't even have to wipe my fingerprints afterwards. But it's always bugged me that someone stole my van, and they completely got away with it. They stole our van. It was a huge hassle. Then they stole a bunch of stuff from our van. They even stole all the quarters I use when I go shopping at Aldi. And so I had to somehow source some new quarters for that. But they, they faced zero consequences for it. They got away with it. But they didn't get away with it. Because the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked. God saw it. God knows who took my van. And if that person doesn't repent of their sins and trust in the good news of Jesus, they will answer for that on Judgment Day, along with a whole list of other crimes, I imagine. So when they stand before the judge of all the earth, they will receive justice. So when I think back to that day and I get all riled up that I don't know who stole my van, I can take solace in knowing that every evil and wicked deed will receive perfect justice in the end. But any solace I could take from that is going to quickly turn to dread when I realize that that also applies to me. You see, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked, and sadly, that includes me, and it includes you, it includes all of us. That secret sin that you thought you got away with, that thing you think about when you fall asleep at night and you cringe, God saw it. And just as assuredly as Fred Meyer would have caught me stealing from that checkout. God saw what I did. God saw what you did. We didn't get away with it. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked. And if you've done bad things, that's bad news. Because you and I won't get away with it. We will stand before the judge of all the earth one day, and he will give justice to those things. Just as he will give justice to the person who stole my van, he will give justice to me. And as the Bible tells us, the wage of every sin, from a little white lie to grand theft auto, is the same. It's death. But as we say to our kids over and over again uh, at Kids Connection and on Sunday mornings, 
The Bible is not a bad news book. It's a good news book. And so when I read Romans 5, 8, which says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I can be confident that God knew everything about my sins, all of them, both the notorious, well-known ones and the secret sins that I don't tell anyone. He knew all those things, and he still sent his perfect son to die in my place. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked, and yet he still loved me enough to send his son. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked, and yet Jesus still loved me enough to stretch out his hand and to die for my sin. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked. But that's not all. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Now it can be incredibly draining to toil away day after day, doing the right thing when you feel like no one's paying attention and no one's watching. And you do these things and no one gives you a single thank you. But the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the good. And so no good deed goes unnoticed. When it's been a long day and you're ready for bed, but you still manage to somehow get those dishes done, God sees you. When your child says something awful to you, and you miraculously respond with grace and patience, God sees you. When you change the 3,000th diaper, God sees you. When you leave a generous tip, God sees you. When you return that shopping cart, God sees you. When I remember to actually put the toilet seat down, God sees me. In 3 John 1.4, John writes, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Just hearing reports of his spiritual children walking in obedience to God's truth brought a huge smile to John's face. But I can guarantee you, just as assuredly as John felt that way about his children, our Father, who sees what is done in secret, is smiling when his children are walking in love even when no one is there to say thank you. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the good. And I'm certain that the mouth of the Lord is smiling when he catches us obeying him when no one else is watching. So as we wrap things up this morning, let me give you a couple of questions to think about. First, if you had a spiritual optometry appointment, if you had to get your eyes tested based on the book of Proverbs, what would the diagnosis be? Are there situations where you're wise in your own eyes, where you think, I know better than God? Or are you looking at the world through haughty eyes, viewing yourself and everyone else as a means to serve you? Are your eyes on that prize of eternal life, or are they wandering to and fro, distracted by all the things the world offers us? And second, do you live your life as if Proverbs 15.3 is actually true. Do you conduct yourself as if the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good? Do you say no to secret temptations, even in situations when no human being will ever find out? And are you willing to persist in doing right, even if you never get a thank you in your lifetime? Let's pray together.
Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for these themes we see in Scripture and for times when we can take um, just a whole book and, and gather what you say on a single topic. And so we thank you for using things like body parts to help us explain how your world works. And so as we think of the eyes that you gave us, of how we perceive our world, how we interact with the things we see, we thank you for the wisdom we can have of what your book of Proverbs teaches us to do with our eyes. And so may we not be people who are wise in our own eyes, but people who trust in your heart, or trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, and don't lean on our own understanding. May we not look with haughty eyes, but with loving and compassionate and caring eyes, thinking of others as more important than ourselves. May we keep our eyes on the prize of eternal life, nothing that it's not a thing we can earn, but on the, the righteous life that you call us to do, because Jesus has done everything to save us, the path that you ask us to walk on. May we not turn to the right or the left, all the things that distract us, but keep our eyes on you. And may we live our lives as if Proverbs 15.3 is the truth, that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Father, you've seen everything I have ever done, everything I ever will do. And yet you still love me. And Father, you've seen the sins of all of us here this morning. And yet you loved us enough to still send your son. Jesus knew all these things. He still stretched out his hand to be beaten and scourged and nailed to a cross to pay a debt he didn't know but to save an unlovely people because you loved us so much. So Father, may we, when we view with our eyes, view through the lens of what you've told us and walk our feet along those paths accordingly. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said,